This is the tax lady, Esther Golius from EG Tax Service. And uh, we're kind of moseying along here on our podcast to get you to be the smartest tax uh, payers in the United States or the world for that matter. And of course, I have Tiffany Fabian with me. Hey, Tiff. Hey there, Esther. How's your day been? It's lovely. It's a lovely day. And Christopher Fabian. Hello, Esther. Hello, Christopher. So you know that we have our regular radio show on WBEN Saturdays at 3 to 4 on AM 930 in Buffalo, New York. Um, If you're listening anywhere outside the area, Florida, Arizona, California, uh, Saudi Arabia, you're you're welcome. We're we're kind of marching through the tax return to get you to know what the heck goes on when you're filing a tax return. A lot of people think they know and they don't know, but we're going to teach you a lot of stuff. Or you could even listen in Italy, where my daughter's hanging out right now. Yeah, I know. I don't oh think my she's listening. God, no, I don't think. I she's think she's listening. eating like uh, pasta or something. Oh, it looks, and she's on the coast. It's so beautiful. Which coast is she on? Not the Amalfi, right, Chris? No, no. she must be over by, she must be by... I know there's Ven- by, by Florence. Pisa, right? Florence. Yeah. Firenze. Yeah. I'll never forget the time. I, hate, I know it's a podcast <laughs> or thing, but <laughs> the first time I went to Italy, you know, <laughs> I guess I'm not the brightest bulb in the box. Not I guess true. it didn't occur to me that they spoke Italian in Italy. But anyway, so I was sitting by the pool with this lady, and she said, um, so where where are you from? And I said, uh, from New York. And she said, oh, where have you uh, gone? Where have you gone? And I said, oh, we went to this wonderful city. We saw all these statues. And she said, really, you should go to Firenze. And she was telling me all about it. And I said, wow, we went to a place just like that yesterday. And it was called Florence. And she looked at me. <laughs> oh, brute. You brute. Brutto. Now, she says... In Italy, Firenze is a Florence. And I go, oh, oh. oh anyway, oh, so now you guys can smack. stop. You can turn off the podcast because you're saying, oh, that's just stupid. Anyway, so we've been talking about, we talked about filing statuses. We talked about the importance of filing status, correct filing status. We talked about dependence. We talked about income. Uh, we talked about non-taxable income. And... um now we want to talk about above the line deductions. So what does that mean? You know, a lot of people go, oh, well, that's a, an above the line deduction. Yeah. What does that mean? That means that it is going to reduce your taxable income, which is, uh, so there's different above the line deductions that will um, be adjustments that's going to adjust your taxable income. And so then less of your income is going to be taxable. Right. Well, But why do they call it above the line, Chris? Above the line. Because it's above the line. Um, <laughs> it's before itemized deductions. It's before your itemized yeah. deductions standard or standard deduction. deductions. Right. Right, right, right. So a lot of people don't even know that if you don't itemize, you get to take these deductions. So we kind of thought we'd march through the, the deductions. And uh, some of them are very obtuse, but some of them are really um, available to a lot, a lot of people. So here they go. So first of all, educator expenses. So that would be for who? Uh, normally you would think normally of teachers, um, but it could be for teachers, aides, counselors, principals. You have to have at least, I believe, uh, 900 hours of dealing with children. Right. 
in order to take this, and you would be able to claim up to $250 of your own expenses you spent out of pocket right. so, to do your job. So, so if you don't itemize, you still get to take educator expenses, right? Yeah, right. and there's so many teachers. I got to tell you, last year they were all working from home, at least where I live and I think a lot of the country, and so they had to get certain equipment to do things remotely. And let's face it, the school district were, were rushed into this, so they didn't get any money, and the but teachers, it, but the it's teachers not had like to they, bear the cost. But it's not like they just say, oh, right off 250 you got to spend the money. Right, right. right? So it's, the teachers spent money on laptops, on software for doing things virtually, on headphones, on microphones. And so the teachers scrambled. And so last year, I, I'm sure probably they reached those 250 mark right. thresholds. Then the other thing is charity. I mean, uh, people, that, and this is interesting because charity is a above the line deduction, even if you itemize deductions. So charity this year is going to be up to $600 on the 2021 return for a married couple, Mm -hmm. which you had to spend. But last year it was $300 no matter what. But that's another above the line deduction on charitable expenses that you had. Yeah. Even if you itemize. Now you couldn't take the charity here and on the schedule A be one or the other. But let's face it. So many of my clients nowadays are like, oh, the standard deduction is so large. I'm not going to even save the receipts. I'm not going to look at anything related to charity. And so this is thinking differently is that they should save those receipts or they should let us know because how much otherwise they, spend on they would lose the $600. Right, deduction. right. Because the thought pattern now is that the standard deduction is so large, I'm not going to itemize potentially. Right. But this, you don't have to itemize with this. Yeah. All right. Another thing performing artists deduction. Mm-hmm. So that would be people that spend at least 10%, they make at least. of their gross income from being a performing artist and have at least two employers and they have an AGI of 16,000 or less. So I guess that's what you call a starving artist, right? Yes. Yeah, because even if you're 16,000, if you're at 15,000, we'll say, your standard deduction this year is almost 13,000. So So your taxes are only going to get taxed on 2,000 for income tax. Right. So that would be $200. You're not saving that much. But, But it's something. But it's something. Right. But yes. so that's uh, that's, again, an adjustment. Armed forces and reservists deduction. Mm-hmm. So what is that for? So that's um, reverse reservists who have to have job expenses for being in the military, the reservists. And so they if they have to travel, they can deduct the travel from moving and traveling from home to where they must stay overnight. At, at least 100 miles or more. Right. Right. So those expenses are deductible. How about the HSA, the health savings account? Yeah, that's a really nice thing. So that's a big one. It's a really big one. So I have a client, lots of clients who put money into HSAs. And usually a lot of people do it through their employer. And so their employer will set aside some of their pay tax free into going into this HSA account. And um, let's say that you don't do it through your employer, you open up your checkbook and you write money in deposit it into your HSA. What is the limit? 5,000 a year if you're over the age of 50. And so then you get to deduct it as an above the line deduction, whatever right. you open up your checkbook. But you and have to have money. a high deductible insurance plan, right? Insurance Which plan. is over $1,800. Right. And, um, and in, if that's the case, you can put money into an HSA, which works a lot like an IRA. Mm-hmm. Right. It builds and it builds and it builds. Can you have an HSA and an IRA? Yes. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just think about it. You could put 7000 away in your in your IRA and 
depending, depending on, on your if filing, filing right before five thousand know, dollars in your HSA, that's like twelve thousand dollars in adjustments and that this, you create. And this is the beauty of tax planning. I mean, if you just blindly walk through things and don't use the tools that are in your toolbox, it's not a good thing. And so this is a beautiful tool. I can't tell you how many people or how many people don't use it, but I mean, just opening up your checkbook, putting money into your HSA, if you have that high deductible plan, right? It's a good idea. Right. So that's, and you, and when you use the health savings account to pay for medical bills and you take it out, is it taxable? No. So it's deductible. And when you use it, it's not taxable. Right. So so when you think about it, what a deal. Right. So if you do it through your paycheck, your, your, Line one figure on your W-2 already took that adjustment. So you so can't you do it again. Don't do it again. The only time you get to use it here would be like if, like Tiff said, if you go into your own pocket and deposit it into the HSA. Right. And it can build, and ultimately, if you don't use it for medical, it can kind of turn into like a pension plan. Yeah. And let's face it, you know, you just mentioned that if you use it for medical, do you have to pay, pay tax on it? And the answer is no. And and let's face it, how many people don't itemize their medical? And so... Because it has the 10% floor right. on and top so of everything. You're just not going to be so able to itemize So this way it's like medical. deductible... 100% deductible, not taxable when you use it. The appreciation is not taxable. And ultimately, it turns into like an IRA that you can use upon retirement if you don't use the money. And if you if you try to itemize your deductions, your medical expenses, you have to reduce it by 10% of your adjusted gross income. So it's almost impossible. Well, it isn't impossible, but it's a much higher bar to... to jump over if you're going to deduct your medical bills, whereas this is just a freebie. Right, right. You know, and that's, if you have a job and you maxed out your 401k contribution, this is, and since you have a 401k, you're probably not going to be entitled to put money into an IRA. This is another form of putting money away for your retirement. Right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and a tax savings as well. Okay, and then the other thing that's uh, an adjustment is moving expenses of guys and women that are in the armed forces. Yeah. So if you move uh, because the gov- federal government has transferred you, those moving expenses are deductible on a 3903. And I will tell you, nobody else gets to take moving expenses. Yeah, you used to be able to if you moved more than 50 miles for a job. But I have never seen a military person have to pay for their I know, their I was move. just going to say that. I was just... Right, but... <laughs> stole my thunder. Yep. But maybe they had to buy boxes or something. All right, then there's the self-employed health insurance deduction. That's a biggie. It is, and it's something that's frequently missed. And so, uh, let's face it, I have a, a self-employed health practitioner. I do their return. And so she has to pay for her own health insurance. And so that is an item that we cannot deduct on our Schedule C, where I have seen people make mistakes doing that. And it would be in this above-the-line adjustment section, what she pays for health insurance. And it's dollar for dollar. So it's a really smart thing to take advantage of and you got to make sure you put it in the right place and this is the right place for right. it to go. So if you're a self-employed person and you pay your own health insurance, that health insurance is a deduction, not on medical, but as an above the line deduction. So if you've been taking it as a medical expense, you've been shooting yourself in the foot. Little, little known uh, tip though, is if you're self-employed and you hire your spouse, uh huh, right? 
Yeah. If your spouse is your employee, your employee, and you pay them on a W two, and you're paying for their health insurance, that is an itemized, that is a deduction on the Schedule C, and will save you FICA. And and you can do an expense. HRA. That's right. And get the you get to deduct it. What does that acronym stand for? Health reimbursement account. Right. Okay. And so you, as the employer, says, "I'm going to pay all my employees. I'm going to reimburse them their health insurance." And of costs. course, you only have one employee, your right. husband. Right. So eight thousand for insurance, three thousand for medical bills. You have a nice eleven thousand write-off against your income, against your net profit. Right. So you not only save income tax, you save self. And so what's so tax. cool about that is that would be something that you'd have to tax plan. Right. So t- when you say like like when I think about realtors, realtors now who are making millions of dollars, if they hired their spouse who might be retired, your spouse might be retired, and you got you got him or her schlepping around, dropping off contracts, meeting people, getting keys done for you. If you hire your spouse and you set up the HRA, then you can reimburse the your spouse who's your employee and take it as a deduction on your self-employment return and save FICA as well. So that's another another great thing. Yeah. Right. right? Most definitely. All right. Then there's, this doesn't happen so much anymore, penalty for early withdrawal of savings. Like if you have a CD right, and it says you got a 3D, three-year CD, and they say if you take that money out and break the CD, we're going to charge you a penalty. That's another ab- above the line It deduction. is. It would be found on a Schedule B. So when I'm doing the person's tax return, usually they'll give you the Schedule B. And if there is a penalty- The 1099 INT. Oh, that's what I meant. The 1099 <laughs> INT, which goes on the, the Schedule, Schedule B. B. I know. You can but- see where- All right. All right. You too. No, no, just because you're married, start fighting. Um, Okay, then there's alimony that you paid on a pre-19, 2019 divorce. (laughs) I'm laughing because my daughter is taking accounting in in college and my husband was trying to teach her this in the car ride the other day. We were traveling somewhere far away and she was like, oh my God, what a plate of spaghetti. So if they were divorced before or after and and she's like, try to keep all that straight marbles. So I just broke it down. Think of your friend A. Her parent A B was very happy. He was able to deduct it. But her, the wife was not because it had to count as income. Right. Now think of the other friend whose now parents are now divorced. He's sad because it's not deductible. And she's, she's happy because it's, it's not, not taxable. taxable. Right. right. Oh my gosh. So, uh, and of course, in the state of New York, for those of you that live in New York, it's just the opposite. Let me tell your, your alimony is deductible no matter when you got divorced and if you, if you're paying it and if you're receiving it, it is taxable no matter when you got the divorce. So the federal law goes right out the window. Let me take it from a standpoint. I have a client who got divorced in 2012. And so she still gets alimony and every year she has to declare that alimony on her tax return. I cannot tell you what a bear she is every year when she comes and files. She like comes and she, because she's so sad that she has to declare that income. Now, if she had gotten divorced after 2019, she would be like a ray of sunshine. As a matter of fact, she wouldn't even have to file. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, she could go back to court. And, and have ask, it adjusted. And have it adjusted. Yep. Mm-hmm. She could mm-hmm. take them back to court and say, I'd like more alimony, please. And <laughs> Or take maybe or take take less. 500 less. 
Right. Because right. now she's not paying tax right. on it. That would be a he smart thing. He would win and she would win. That yeah. would be a smart thing. That's a really good okay, idea. Okay, then moving along, IRAs. I think everybody knows IRAs are deductible if you qualify. Traditional. Mm-hmm. Traditional IRAs, not right. Roth. But um, they don't know maybe they don't know that that's a, an above-the-line deduction. Right. If you're covered by a qualified plan and you're a high-income earner, or if your spouse is covered by a qualified plan and you're potentially moderate high-income earner, it could be reduced or completely eliminated. So don't just go run out and open up a traditional IRA. You have to find out. Make sure out. you qualify. Yeah. I tell a lot of my clients to wait until they are filing with me between January and April and then put the money in because you have three years, three years, three Three months after the filing at the end of the year to still put the money in. So you have three months, you know, January, February, so March, April. April. Isn't, that, isn't that three and a half months? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah <laughs> April 15th, which right. if, if it's, if the, if it's a due date of the return. All right. Student loan interest up to $2,500, right? Per mm-hmm. return. Per return. Right. Now well, there's a lot of parents out there that have co-signed. What were you going to say, Chris? Is no, that I was you? letting you. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. so I was going to say there's a lot of parents out there that have co-signed for their student loans. And if they pay their kids' student loans, they get to deduct up to $2,500 a year. Again, if their income isn't too high where it's gone or phased out. And then the tuition and fees deduction for those people that had kids in college or they're in college themselves, that was phased out in 2020. Right. Now, they may re-up it because they're in the middle of uh, passing big tax reform. But as of right now, the tuition and fees deduction is closed. Yeah. Um, attorney fees if you're a whistleblower. What? Right, right, right. Attorney fees if you're a whistleblower. Uh, you so if you are a whistleblower and you got a lawsuit and the attorney took 30%, that's where, <laughs> Chris is a whistleblower, that's where you take the adjustment uh, for the for the uh, legal fees you paid. Because it used to be a uh, uh, miscellaneous itemized deduction, but now that's gone. So can we back up a little yeah. bit? Um, tuition and fees. So some people out there haven't filed their 2020 or maybe they could amend their 2020. So if you are in graduate school and your income was too high and you couldn't take the lifetime learning, the beauty is, is that maybe you qualify for the tuition and fees deduction, or maybe it was a better answer because your income was so high the lifetime learning was just about phased out. So I invite people to explore the idea of moving their yeah, So there's American Opportunity Tax Credit, which is for the first four years of continuing education with a maximum of like a, a $2,500 credit. The, and then on state of New York, four hundred dollars. And then there's um, lifetime learning, which is twenty percent credit of the first ten thousand dollars. After you've exhausted that on lifetime learning, then you would go to tuition and fees, uh, unless your income was too high, and you'd go to tuition and fees, which is uh, an another form of educational expense. But again, it phased out in twenty twenty. Yeah, and the beauty about an adjustment, these adjustments that we're talking about, and you're talking about your state return, is it also impacts your state return. Too, so all these adjustments potentially impact your state return. So I know that um, when I'm doing the tuition and fees, is that sometimes the answer helps so much on the state that it's a better place to go than lifetime learning, right? Because it's the whole it's the whole package, right? Now, for those of you listening in Florida, it's a yawn because darn it, you don't have to pay any darn state taxes <laughs> or Texas or Texas. Um, okay, then the other thing is above the line is. 
Expenses paid for rental of personal property if you've already included the income in box in line eight. So if you had below the fair market value rents and you included it on the tax return, expenses up to the rental income are deductible as an adjustment to income. So can you explain that a little bit better? So you'll have rental income and so you're renting it below fair market value. Let's say you should have you should have done a thousand dollars a month, but you're renting it to your kid for two hundred a month. Uh So you got rental income of twenty four hundred dollars. So your expenses are at least twenty four hundred. So as an adjustment to income, would you would take the expenses up to income. That's pretty cool. As an adjustment. No, yeah. All right. And then Jury duty pay is also an adjustment to income if your employer included it in your W-2. If you had to pay it back right. to your employer. Right. That's right. So uh, because it would be double taxation. Right. Well, you got double paid. So if if you go to jury duty and you say, no, I don't get paid, and they send you that check for $40 a day, and then your employer does pay you for the $40, you got double page, you have to pay back your employer, so the government's letting you deduct. Take it as a deduction, yes. right. Um, and then, of course, the other thing is for self-employed people, 50% of the FICA and Medicare tax that you pay is also an above-the-line deduction. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, <laughs> you, you hear people call all the time, and they're like, oh, my God, if I take that, that job, I'm going to become a real estate agent. That means I have to pay self-employment tax. Or you have several employers who pay somebody as a self-employed person instead of a W-2 person. So they call you and they're like, oh, I got to pay that self-employment. Well, so the IRS, in their great wisdom, they're trying to put a Band-Aid on this and fix that. So half of that self-employment, that tax that you pay generally on page two, is an adjustment or above-the-line deduction. So make sure that you take that um, and and um, you rightfully deserve and, that. And remember, all of these expenses are before you itemize. Yeah. And, and I don't think people understand that. And then the last one on my list here is SEP simple and qualified pension plans uh, if you're self-employed. Uh, that is not on your W-2. So uh, SEP would be 20, 20% of your net profit. Same as simple has a different cal- calculation, but it would be like 17,000 um, depending upon your age. A- and you could also do a, a simple, a, a sing, simp, not a simple, a solo 401k plan where you can put like $47,000 away of your net self-employment income. So if you put away 20000 into one of these pension plans because you're self-employed and you're in the 30% bracket, 22% federal and uh, 8%, 8% New, York. New York State, which would, would be a little off, you would save $6,000 in taxes. And that's another thing that you can do after you're sitting with your preparer at the end of the year. You still have time um, after the filing deadline to fund and put money into that SEP. Only, only if you did an extension. Only if you did an extension. Right, exactly. Right. And so I have a client who's a window salesman who makes lots of money. And so every year we sit down and we put the figures together for putting the money in right to his SEP. But I'll tell you, there, and, and so I guess what I we wanted to let you know is there are lots of adjustments to income before you itemize and EG Tax will help you. And when you go to our website at egtax.com, Dot com. You can click on Ask the Tax Lady. We're always happy to help you. By the way, if you're getting letters from the IRS, don't pay them until you let them let us look at them. It's absolutely free. Until next time, I'm Esther Gullius, Christopher Fabian, Tiffany Fabian. God bless you. Thanks for listening. 
new friends, new opportunities, new partners. E G Tax. It wasn't until I was going through this list.